All right, here we are. Here we are. Welcome <laughs> back. We should do the whole episode like oh, that. Oh my god! It'd be it'd be like a seven hour. We episode. already lost seventy percent of the people just doing that much of it. Like, yeah. what is this? Hey, it's science in between. Yep, and I'm Scott, and I'm Ollie, and here we are. Here we are. So. Um, I'll I'll say I'll say how this episode came out because it was my okay. idea. Yeah. Um, because it it this the person actually might be listening. I had an administrator reach out to me. Oh, I don't know, maybe a week or so ago. Um, so principal in in a local district here, uh-huh. friend of mine, you know, long term friend. This guy, I've, I've known a guy. I'm, I'm not gonna guy. drop this guy. That guy. <laughs> that I'm not guy. gonna I'm not gonna drop his name because who knows? Maybe you know, you know, yeah. maybe he doesn't want to be like outed no. on. But um. You know, he's he's been listening to the show. He's, you know, pro science teaching, you know, um, and he's really interested in supporting the next generation science standards in his his school. Mm-hmm. And we spent maybe an hour and a half talking about ways that he could do that, you mm-hmm. know, and 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 I was like, wow, you know, this is this is an episode. That's where yeah. my brain works at. <laughs> like, yeah. oh, this is oh, like you know it's like Seinfeld. It's like, oh, that's a show. Oh, that's a show. <laughs> oh. Is it a blog post or is it an episode? I can't decide. Uh, that is both. exactly how my brain works. You know, as I as I walk around, I'm just collecting content, yeah. ideas for content. That's all yeah. I do. That's your content. Your content vacuum cleaner. Right. It's a. Is this a blog post? Is this a podcast episode? Or is this something I could bring into my class? Those are like yeah. basically, you know, how I yeah. navigate the world. Yeah. yeah. Nothing wrong with that. There you go. So that's the conversation today. If you're an administrator, how can you support sort of the not just the next generation of science standards, but all of this, you know, sort of, you know, I don't know, we want to call it reform based pedagogy and science, or we want to call it like be an agent of change. Let's put let's frame it that. How can you be an agent of change in your school to promote, you know, more authentic discourse-based yeah. science. Yeah. Culturally relevant relational teaching practices. All of that. All of know? it. All of it. Yeah. Okay. All right. Am Do I going st- first or are you going first? Uh, I don't care. You, you, okay. I'm you going can first go. then. Why don't I'm you going go? first because I'm, I'm, I'm afraid you're going to steal my good one and then all right. I won't well, have anything left. All right. Yeah. You have a good one. Okay. I just, well, I think so. All um, right. We're going to find out. Yeah. Um. So when you suggested this, the number one thing for me was common planning time yeah that's at grade levels yeah. so it's like you know the one thing i've seen with the with the park force group that i i work with is just how much difference that made in the evolution of their practice to have common planning time and to use it productively now the second part's harder to support as an administrator but you can do it you can encourage it but but the first part is you've got to provide the opportunity and you've got to set the expectation that that time is for the teachers to talk about phenomenon and teaching and practice, not about discipline or kids that are having trouble or what, like that, that can happen in other places, but there's got to be some kind of common planning time where the teachers get together and have conversations about the phenomenon they're teaching how the how those things are manifesting in the classroom, what they're struggling with in terms of supporting kids in this kind of practice. And it's got to be, it can't be once a week. It's got to be every day or every other day. And, you know, like at Park Forest, they have a big chunk of time because of the block scheduling. So they have like 80 minutes every other day and they use it. And it's made a huge difference in their practice. 
Um, there's lots of other pieces to it, but one thing that administrators can do is organize schedules so that people have time to talk with their colleagues and really develop these practices locally. Yeah. I mean, that was a, so I was fortunate that when I was teaching, um, that was always something that, you know, that was built into schedules, that it was a common planning time when I was teaching science. The The wild thing was when I was out maybe about three or four years ago now, um, I was in Sweden and I walked, got to see how they, so I was in a middle school for a week and the amount of planning time that they had together was just like wild. It was, they would have hours of common planning time every day. Yeah. And I was like, wow, wow, look at this. This is amazing. This is like, now I understand like schools are, you know, navigating shortages, not in terms of, you know, educators, but also substitutes. And so when, you know, a teacher's out or a teacher's sick or whatever, you know, it is like, we're just putting, you know, taking people from prep periods and putting them in. I get all of that. But if, if change is something you, uh, an administrator wants to support, then there's got to be part of that, like planning time that is just like, okay, you've got to get together and, and work on this. Cause this is, it's hard stuff, right? It is hard stuff to shift, you know, one, you don't really have a model in your head of what this looks like because you didn't have that as, as an experience. But, right. you know, planning this stuff is is hard work. It's not just like, late. let's, hey, do you have some PowerPoint slides for this? You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> no, yeah. no, 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 I don't. Actually. No, you don't. Because that's not this, you know, but I, I so I think that I that's a really good thing, a starting point. I think, you know, providing time is the, the, the number one because that's, you know inevitably when I talk to teachers, that's the first place that we need the time. Yeah. We need the yeah, time. But I think sure. number two is is other resources. They need to provide other resources mm-hmm. to recognize that, you know, there might be some changes in equipment. There may be a you need might need other things to bring into the classroom mm-hmm. that, you know, and it might be, you know, changing some of the learning spaces or it might be, you know, providing other types of stuff. So I think that's a um another thing way of thinking about this is it's like, well, what are the resources that teachers need to be able to do this successfully? One is time to plan it. And two is all of the, you know, equipment and supports. It's not like this has to be like equipment intensive, but it might be stuff that they may may not have in their classrooms. And certainly if it's a middle school or elementary setting, probably not. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. I mean, well, that's a thing that I think science has always struggled with at every level, which is it's materials intensive and some of those materials get used up year to year. So there has to be a budget for science in a way that other domains don't get it. And sometimes that feels unfair because, you know, I mean, I'm sure, you know, we talk about the different, the, the comparison between art and science, and that's another area in which there's common ground, right? Which is, you know, you can't teach an art class without using stuff and that stuff gets used up and it doesn't, you can't just get it back. It's not like a textbook. It's not like the copies of Catcher in the Rye that are all going to come back. Like you have to use stuff up and you have to recognize that that's part of the process and that's part of the budget. So I think that's, yeah, I think that's important. Um, yeah. I mean, next thing for me would be, um, uh, patience. Um, I think, I think administrators have to have patience with the process, right? Like we talk about in the PD work we're doing, like this is, this is a marathon, not a sprint. Like the change is going to be slow. And, and as part of that, it's going to be awkward, right? You know, it's, there are going to be some years where you're, you may get more parent complaints than you have in the past because 
you know, teachers are doing things and they don't understand what's going on and the kids don't understand what's going on and the teachers are struggling. And and that means that administrators have to be patient and deal with the fact that they're going to, they're going to have to shoulder some of that for a little while until the transition is made that they can't just think this is going to be snapping their fingers and it's going to be a change in pedagogy. These things are deep changes and they require time and patience. And I think administrators need to really do to, to have that to self-examine and say, look, part of my job, part of why I get paid the big bucks is to shoulder the responsibility of the fact that change is hard and slow in schools. And I have to be the umbrella that protects the science folks as that change is happening. Yeah, I think my, my next one is like like right in that same wheelhouse. It's the starting with one. Right. It, it is like, you know. If you are going to come in and say, hey, in the fall, we are going to transition to ambitious science teaching, and so all of your units are going to be ambitious science teaching, they're going to carry you out and, yeah. you know, out of the school and it's going to – or teachers are going to leave, you know, because right. they're just not going to – they're not they're not going to buy in. Or they're going to oh. nod their heads and do whatever the hell they want. Right, the and they close the door. Do. Right. Yeah. Start with one, say, you know, and I don't know if that's like one lesson or one unit. I mean, it would be great if you say, look, sometime this fall, I would like you and your team to do one ambitious science teaching unit. Pick your topic, you know, maybe it's around, you know, there's a ton of phenomenon out there. Pick a phenomenon, build a unit around it that typically, and I always tell people to either start with the thing they love the most or start with the thing they hate the most, yeah. you know, because those are the two things. Because like, if they hate teaching it, then this is an opportunity to do something different. Yeah. If it's something they love teaching, then it's something that they can like. They know it so well already, right? That they can really dig in and say, "I know this stuff so well, and this is something I'm really passionate about." You know, pick phenomena that based in that and say, "Build a unit around this." Just to build one week long, two week long unit around this. See if you can work through different, you know, stages of ambitious science teaching to a phenomenon, work towards an evidence-based explanation, and just see how it goes. Yeah. Yeah. So what I would add to that, I think that's that's a path, another path into it. Um, that you can support as an administrator is a practice. So so you get your teachers together. And the nice thing about a practice is it can cut across grade levels and content areas. So you can say, right. okay, we're, we're going to learn how to elicit students' initial ideas. Like that's all we're going to work on. So right. we're going to work on doing it in our classroom. Maybe we'll develop or use existing tools that support that as a practice. We're not going to change lots of other stuff about what's going on in our classroom, but we are going to start looking for opportunities where we can elicit students' ideas about a phenomenon or or something and practice those talk moves and practice supporting students yeah. doing that work and then coming back together again with the common playing time and saying, hey – like I tried it in this context, like I I took this lab I usually do and I redid it so that the kids had to talk about it first. And I tried walking around and listing their ideas. And here's the thing I struggled with. And then it didn't work in the later structure of the lab. So I'm trying to think, you know, like those kinds of conversations are incredibly valuable. And so saying, yeah, hey, what's a practice that we can all work on that that would let us start to move the way that we teach a little bit closer to that to that goal? Yeah, that's cool because it's a like a it's another starting point because I like start with right. one. I mean, I think it's going to really based be based on the buy-in that you have. I mean, because if you don't have a whole lot of buy-in, then it's like okay, let's just take one of these practices and see if you can in incorporate it into a you know a lesson or incorporate it into something. So it's not the I, I would say like the grain size of change is smaller, right? Yeah. Like right. this is like changing 
a very small thing in a lesson. Like, but if it's like, okay, we're going to do a whole lesson around this, then that's like moving that grain size larger. Hey, if it's a unit, you know, that is probably the largest grain size. Then, then the curriculum is, you know, down the road and that's where that patience thing comes in. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, you could also think it as breath as breath uh, versus depth. So the unit plan is a really deep change because it sort of changes everything. But it only changes it for a small section of your whole curriculum, whereas a practice is not as much. As you say, it's a smaller grain size change, but you could do it all year round, and you could evolve that practice over time. So you could start in the fall with just little changes, and then that could snowball over time as you understand the practice better and you have more and more people doing it. Now by you know April, it's like, oh, wow, I've noticed that there's big changes in the way that my teaching is happening, even though... That's not what I set out to do. I set out just to do this little thing about trying to elicit students' ideas. Right. And I think that it'll, you know, reduce some of the the barriers, you know, that teachers, you know, they kind of, right. It's like, oh yeah, that's huge. That's a huge change. I, I've been teaching for 20 years. I've never done this. Well, you know, Mm -hmm. hey, let's just try to take this one practice and see if you can do it. That's, I think that's an awesome idea. I think that's the, you know, um, I think. One of the things, and this is one of the recommendations I, I gave to, to, to my friend, um, was to try to, you know, get a, a, a book group, a book club mm, thing going. Yeah. You know, I, I'm a big fan. Like, so when I was leading, um, you know, our, our university's teaching and learning center, I was a big fan of organizing like book clubs, learning communities around the reading. And I think that the great thing is that the book is really not the thing. I mean, the book is the thing that brings the people together, right. you know, it's but it's excuse. not really. Yeah, it's an excuse to get together and it provides a structure. Hey, we're going to read chapters yeah. one and two, you know? Yeah. So it it, pre- it creates this external structure for us to get together and talk about our practice, mm-hmm. right? And engaging conversations with other people about our practice. That's yeah. the power of the book club. And so I would use them like I can't tell you the number I did over like the seven years I was, you know, um, you know, directing our teaching and learning center. I probably did maybe 20 book clubs, you know, mm-hmm. on campus around all kinds of things, like whatever people were interested in. I was like, sure, because I was seeing that that is a way to promote change is to mm-hmm. get people to talk about, get them together. And it would always be somebody that I would lead. I would get to lead who was like kind of like the person who was you know, going to be the person to help, you know, drive that change. Right. Mm -hmm. So it could be the the principal, you know, or it could be somebody else in the department who's like also on board or open to, to change. Right. Mm -hmm. Without necessarily being the cheerleader. Right. Yeah. 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 So I'm a huge, huge, I can't say huge enough. Huge, huge, huge huge tracks of land. Yeah. huge. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I think that is, you know, a really powerful starting point, you know? Yeah. No, I like that. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So I'll, I'll, I was going to connect it to something else, but I think it's going to take us down a rabbit hole. So I'm not going to do that. I'm going to stick on, on a little bit on task here. So um, look, at, look at you. It's I know. Discipline. I'll, May, maybe I'll come back to it. We'll see. Pressed by you. Um, but what I will say is my next thing on my list is that administrators need to think about is uh, rethinking or reimagining teaching evaluation and how they think about their role as an instructional leader, right? Like increasingly, well, maybe not increasingly, but it, it it is a part of the way that we talk about what 
academic leaders do, whether they're principals, assistant principals, or deans or whatever, is that they're instructional leaders, right? And so I think this idea of like starting to really think about what what are you going to look for when you go into those classrooms? And again, if we can go back to your suggestion about the unit or my suggestion about the practice, use that as a tool for your evaluation. So if you say, hey, my my teachers have decided that what they want to work on is the soliciting practice. Well, then when I or my assistants or whoever is going in to do the teaching evaluations, I want to be invited in when you're doing that. I want to see you when you're trying to work on the soliciting practice because both I can get a better sense of what that looks like and maybe you and I can have a conversation. I can participate in the PLCs when those happen if need be because I can say, hey, you know, I, I was watching Ollie teach the other day and he was doing some of the soliciting stuff and here are questions I have that I don't have answers for but I but I think would be interesting to talk about. Right. So reimagining your role as a, as an instructional leader relative to changing practice. I think that that's a really important thing for administrators to consider how to do. Yeah. I think that kind of feeds nicely into my next idea is that um, I think as a building leader, as that instructional leader, it requires that people are educated as to what this stuff is. Right. Yeah. It means that you have to have a pretty good sense of what the next generation standards, science standards mean, what that means for your state. So if you're in Pennsylvania, then understanding how that's uh, enacted in, in your state. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also understanding like what that means in terms of not just the teaching part about it, an assessment standpoint, not only at those, you know, at the local level in terms of your, you know, um, a class or a you know, course or whatever, but also in terms of like the larger state assessments. I think being educated on that is going to help um, you as a building leader, as an instructional leader, you know, get some access with your, you know, because if you come in and go, hey, I've heard about this thing, you know, right. that's, you know, they're talking about the state or, yeah. you know, this thing's coming. Let's, you know, I, I the last thing we want to do is uh, say, hey, uh, we're doing this because they said it. Right. 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 Yeah. You know, the, the state's doing this. So like we got to do it because then it's like we're all just being, you know, forced on that. Yeah. You know, we're being that, reactive. We're not we're being we're reactive. Not, there's no agency in it. Right. But I think that being educated and understanding, OK, these this is these are like this is a decade, decades long conversation in our field. Yeah. Right. This isn't something that's like, sure, it's hit in Pennsylvania now, but discourse based authentic it's in, in science instruction has been something that's been a, a thing for 20 years. Plus, you know, John Dewey, right? I mean, it's not like we could go back a hundred years. So, and that's not to like, like, it's not a criticism for anybody. It's not a criticism. It's just a thing that there is a body of work around this. So it's not something that's happening to us. It's something that's been happening in our field for a very long time. And it's just been, it's finally made its way into science standards. And it's finally made its way that it's, we have really good models for what that could look like, you know? Yeah. And, and I think it's finally made it its way into national standards that are actually sort of national standards. Right. So the national science education standards came out in what, 89 or give or take. And, you know, they were, they were named national science education standards, but they were never adopted. They were used much more like a, like a, a report would have been used to think about maybe how to design 
certain aspects of the standards. But I will say either because of Common Core or just because of the way the NGSS rolled out, they were much more like a national standard. They they many 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 states have adopted either the NGSS or some version yeah. of the NGSS. And so I think it really we're living in a different world now with regard to that. I mean, one one thing I would say specifically that sort of builds on a couple of the things we've said is if you want to start a book club, if you want to start somewhere, starting with the framework, the NRC K-12 science education framework is the best place to start because it's not – because one of the things I think, especially now in PA, that we have standards whether you know that are NGSS-based – is we don't want to talk about the NGSS anymore per se. I mean, we can, but but really what we want to say is, look, both the NGSS and by extension, the PA standards are built on the framework. And the framework is a research-based document. And to your point, it's a consensus summary document that that considers all of this long history in the field and says, here are the things that we really know about how people learn science and the best way to organize the teaching of science. And and that if you understand those core principles, then whether you're looking at NGSS or PA standards or whatever the next thing is, like that stuff, I'm not going to say it's not going to change because it will, because like all science, it should evolve and, and get better. But it does. it's unlikely that the things in there are going to be, you know, explicitly wrong. They're just going to get they're going to get tweaked and, and modified and improved. But but some of the core principles in there are essentially going to stay the same. So looking back at a document like that, starting there, as opposed to starting with some other thing, like even the standards, because looking at the standards without knowing something about the framework Right. It doesn't really do the job. Like you really need to understand the principles. Yeah. I, I think framing how you frame this is probably the most critical thing. Right. I think, you know, using the NRC as a as a starting point, I think will help frame that a little differently than if you had a different starting place. And I um and I think that's that can be powerful. Yeah. <laughs> um I I I guess uh for me, the the last idea I really have is the um, it, it comes back to that framing piece. Is like you know we oftentimes when you know when we're teaching science, we think about the content, right? But we have to think about what it's teaching our students about our content. And in a lot of ways, the ways we've traditionally been teaching science is around this you know big body of knowledge. And so if we frame it from like, yeah, our students learning the content and are they able to pass, you know, trivia based tests, you know, then, you know, we're going to lose in that battle. But if we're framing it from the standpoint of are we creating science minded students, uh, citizens, right, who can go out into the world and understand how science actually works. You know, I think framing it from that perspective is a different selling point than like, hey, we've got to really do well on the, you know, our state assessments because that's a different that's a different way of, you know, framing that. Right. That's not a selling point. I mean, and and I think, you know, we've talked about this before, but um, but the idea that um, assessments, you know, people are like, oh, well, is this going to improve our, our scores on the tests? Well, the thing is, like. You, the test scores. I think if we looked longitudinally at most school districts, their test scores haven't changed much relative to other school districts. So they they sort of are in the same place in the rankings, right? This is like the any other sort of ranking like this. So um, 
So, so I think like obsessing over that as the way to impact your, you know, your instruction is the wrong way to go about it. I mean, what you want to do is say, how do we think kids learn and how do we want to teach them as a result? Right. And then, and then let the scores fall where they may, because the chances are you're, you're not going to have a tremendous impact on the scores because the scores are a weak measure of learning. That's the fundamental problem with most uh, standardized exams is they're not very good measures of the thing that you care about. And so you're going to test kids. And, and if, even if the kids understanding is going way up and down, you're not going to see that on the measure. Yeah. So for all the folks who are listening, Scott just went into a cave. Um, cause I, tried. <laughs> I know I, I'm echoing a lot. So I'm, I'm yeah, it is like, lot. yeah. So if it comes through on the, you know, the recorded version of it, then, you know, um, but I think we did a pretty good job of, um, you know, unpacking some of the places that a, uh, an administrator should, should start in terms of, you know, if you're trying to, you know, influence some change in your school and trying to get some um, more, you know, ambitious science teaching stuff going. Um, uh, I, I, I wish the folks could actually see what I see. Uh, you're like right I, I now. To- I totally do too. I wish that they could see this. Yes. Cause right now, Scott, he's in his office. In he's recording office. from his office today and he's now, uh, his office is like cinder bricks. And so yeah. there was like some of that. And I don't know why someplace across the way it just started echoing more, but now he's like buried under, you know, his jacket and some other things yeah. trying. And, and it has actually no effect on the, the sound quality. Really? On this no end. effect. It's no, like it's, it's just, it it's just making it better for me <laughs> as a person who gets to see. You. Oh, I'm so disappointed. Like, no, I am not. This is such a good idea. It is a good idea for my entertainment. And for that, I thank you, my friend. <laughs> all right. Well, then I'm going to go back to just the normal echoey version. Right. So there it was. All... You got to hear as I took the coat off my head. Right. I remember I remember hearing um, somebody who, who one of the podcasts I listened to, and they were, they were traveling and they were trying to record. And what they did was they went into the closet in their hotel and like, pile like we're under a blanket or something in there trying to get the sound quality so you know i thought hey i've got a coat i can throw it over my head but well i think that that while our listeners expect high audio quality i think they'll be able to work through this well (laughs) it's it's really a question of which they think should be higher quality the the actual content or the recording and their their expectations for both is probably really low so here we go well, I would I would say the other part is you know if you this is I'll, 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 this is a uh, sort of the final thing I'll add if you were an administrator in a district don't go it alone like yeah. there are you know either work with you know local teacher educators or local local university or you know like in on in our state we have intermediate units work with the intermediate units yeah. or there are resources you don't have to go it alone this is not a this is not a you know a solo endeavor there yeah. are people to collaborate with who are going to be willing to help you and if you ask them to come and like work with teachers or come out and provide resources they're going to be more than happy to do it and yeah. so you know collaboration is key and so i think really you know, framing that from the standpoint of like, hey, yeah, I'm a school leader, but I'm not the only person that has to do this. I I can get other people to help. I think is the is the critical part. You know, yeah, I agree. I think that's I think that's a good place to finish. Yeah. 
So I I have a joy, and I'm sure you have joys too, but I'm I'm coming in hot on this one. There you are. I am. All right. Get after it. All right. So uh, I was listening to uh, the radio the other day on the way home, and there was a, a review for a new show called Shrinking on Apple TV. Yeah. And this is, uh, yeah. And so this is Jason Siegel. Uh, Harrison Ford is in it. Harrison Ford. And a few other people that you'll recognize from other other comedies, um, and this was the 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 part that you know it was David B and Cooley was the guy who was reviewing this, and he's like, I laughed, I it, I laughed hard in some episodes, and I really it hit me in 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 the heart in others. He goes, mm-hmm. I've actually never felt this way outside of Ted Lasso. Oh, all right, I and I was like, and you know. Ted Lasso, we love some Ted Lasso in, mm-hmm. in not only in Science in Between World, but in in the Drayon household, we are big fans of said Ted Lasso, and so we started watching it the other night. Shrink the episode's called Shrinking. It's called Shrinking. That's actually the show name. Shrinking. It's around like a bunch of um psychiatrists, psycho- psychologists who are all dealing with their own stuff, but they have all have their practice, mm-hmm. and it's around their their own you know, grief and loss and, and, and all this. And Jason Siegel plays one who's lost his, uh, his wife. So he's grieving. And then Harrison Ford is actually the person who, who runs the entire clinic. Um, and it is brilliant. It is really, really good. And it's like, so this is sort of like the, the benchmark. So when we started watching Ted Lasso, my son, my 16 year old son came into the room. He's like, Oh, what's this? We're like, oh, it's, not, it's a show about soccer. And he goes, oh, I'm not interested in soccer. I'm like, well, it's not really about soccer. And he sits down and then next thing you know, he's watching all of them with us. Right. So the the other night he came home and we had just started watching the first episode. He goes, what the, what's this? And I go, it's this new show. And he sat down and then he ended up spending the entire, he's like, can we, can we watch the next one too? Yeah. And so that's like sort of like that universal appeal. Like, yeah. you know, that it's like, it, it's, and yeah, I can't say enough about it. It's, it's being... Um, you know, released weekly on Apple TV, so it's one of those things. You're kind of like at the beginning stages of it, but it's awesome. It's a and Jason Siegel, you know, I've seen him in a. I like. I was never a a, a guy who was a big fan of you know how I met your mother. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. But he's awesome in this. He's really like this is some really strong acting from him. Cool. All right. Well, I I will add it to my sadly ever growing list of things. So hopefully, I'll get after it because Ted Lasso's supposed to be coming out in march or something so yeah gotta, gotta get after it. oh just a, as a question is shrinking all out or is it no out no okay. it's coming out with week. that's what i said okay. yeah so i think there's like you know when this drops it'll probably be like there's the first three episodes are out you know okay. all right cool um so my joy this week is a book um it is called the three body problem uh, it's by Season, I think Season Lu C I X I N. Um, uh, sorry, reverse that. It's Liu Season. Anyway, I'm probably butchering that pronunciation because I have no earthly idea how to pronounce this man's name. But he's Chinese, um, it, so it's you're reading it in translation, or at least I did. Um, but it's a, it's, I mean, it's it's a weird book. It's a good book, but it's a weird book, and uh, and it really, um, you're. It's one of those things where you sort of don't know what's going on, maybe through ever in the whole book, but you certainly there are big chunks of it that take a long time to sort of unfold, and it's, um, it's a really 
interesting book in that regard because it's sort of you're you're kind of like you you'll finish a chapter of it and you're like I thought I thought I was starting to get a handle on what's going on here. Now I'm more confused than I was before. Um, it's got like a VR video game in it. It's got aliens. It's got it, it's just a really interesting science fiction book. So um, so I, I recommend it. It's it's not I mean, as as much as it sounds like I make it a hard it sounds like a hard read. It's not a hard read, actually. It's just that it really makes you think about stuff. And um and, you know, some of it, the language feels a little awkward, and I don't know if that's the, a translation problem, um, but uh, but overall, I thought it was really an interesting book, and I really enjoyed it. So the three-body problem, it's, I don't want to say too much about it, because it it's, like, going to blow your mind, uh, parts of it, but certainly physics people physics nerds like myself like it's particularly interesting the three-body problem is a is a known problem in physics um right which is essentially two bodies are very simple to understand once you add a third body it becomes almost impossible to calculate um when you've got them interacting with each other and so um so that's that's the the notional title and it and it plays out in multiple ways both explicit and and sort of implicit in the in the course of the book but yeah it's really interesting and i really liked it and uh i give it a thumbs up i mean it won the hugo award and it's it's coming out on netflix as a television series so it's not like i'm finding this under a rock in some obscure place this is you know this is recognized as a really impressive piece of science fiction literature that is also good enough to get turned into a netflix show so there you go yeah, Hugo, a Hugo Award is is not something to take lightly, you know. No, no, but I like that. Like the last, you know, we talked about N.K. Jemison. Yep. Um, like the the people that are getting the Hugo Award feel like a much more interesting and diverse group of people than typically get literary awards. Now, maybe that's happening more and more. Uh, yeah. I'm just less aware of it, but I think you know it's it's nice and interesting to see a, a Chinese author in in translation winning an American science fiction award. So. Cool. Anyway, cool. I recommend. Wow. I I think uh, coming from the bunker that you're in, yeah. that's a really good recommendation. I'm out, I'm out from under the coat. That's what this right. is going to be called. Uh, from under the coat. I like it. There it is. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, if we're able to, you know, get Scott to climb out from his bunker next week, we'll catch yeah. you then. See yeah. you next time. In between. Bye now.